Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. On Thursdays, we like to do a little um, uh, education focus, at, at least uh, if we can, because there's just so much to learn. And uh and something that came across my desk last week, and it doesn't really uh, particular, particularly pertain to uh, parents and, and students in Pennsylvania, but the themes behind it do. And that's the idea of uh, whether or not uh, kids are having so much learning loss from remote learning that they should retain, be retained in a grade. And, and the, the key here is the crucial grade of third grade because – by third grade, again, according to what my understanding is, um, the kids need to be learning at uh, reading at grade level, and so we're gonna we're gonna unpack all of this. And uh, to help us do so is um, is Erin Amy. She's an educational consultant in literacy training and consultation, and a certified literacy specialist. Erin, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me. All righty. So uh, we're a family show. We like to get origin stories. Did you grow up in this neck of the woods or are you a transplant? Yeah, I actually grew up in Cory, Pennsylvania, right on the border between Cory and Clymer. And um, I went to public schools my whole career. And uh, I went to, um, got my master's at Mercyhurst, now university. <laughs> uh, so yes, definitely a product of local education uh, systems. So we are living in Harbor Creek, and my boys attend Rolling Ridge, both in elementary school. So uh, we are a local family for sure. Beautiful. And, and did you get a um, a taste and a desire and a passion for literature or for the spoken word? Where's, where's that passion come from for literacy? Well, this is a great story. Uh, my mom actually, you know, usually teachers have teachers in their family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we The progeny teachers. are teachers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, my mom was a teacher, a special education teacher, and I, you know, went to college thinking I am not going to go into education. I'll go into psychology and um, you know, your path changes. And um, I grew up with kids in our living room and staying after school and unpacking boxes for school supplies. And um, it's just, you know, in, in our blood. Um, but she was really um, dedicated to students who struggle to learn to read. And I learned um, pretty much almost everything I know from her and then uh, went back and got my master's in special education and really am focused on my passion um, is to make sure that every student learns to read and way before grade three. So I'm hoping we get to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but I'm also part of the Reading League Pennsylvania. And we say have that again. A, uh, sure. What's that called again? The Reading League. OK. Pennsylvania. And it is a national organization that has local state chapters. And our mission is to uh, bring to educators, to teachers, what is the science behind learning to read? And how can we, how can we meet this goal of this third grade um, proficiency goal? Um, because as you've seen, I'm sure in those NAEP scores that we'll talk about, um, you know, there hasn't been much growth in the last 30 years. And so what can we do to change those outcomes? 
All righty. So uh, I'm going to ask you to you know, pull the plane up to a 30,000-foot level, and let's talk about literacy and, and this concept of that we've been learning. Again, I'm not an educator. I'm a guy on the radio. So, But we've been learning about the idea that up until grade three, we are learning to read, mm-hmm. and then after grade three, we read to learn, and that's why – like all the like all the marbles are in that uh, that third grade proficiency. Is that an overstatement? Uh, unpack all that. Well, we only have an hour, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and I got to take breaks too. So yeah. Oh geez. Okay. Um, so well, let's start with something that in reading um, we we call the simple view of reading. And the simple view is not so simple, but we'll start there and talk about um, how, what is reading anyway? So reading is a literacy um, endeavor, right? It's based in language and we have a natural um, affinity for learning language. If we are exposed to people that learn, uh, that are talking, babies are going to start talking on a pretty consistent trajectory, right? We learn words, we learn how to communicate with each other, build relationships. And um, that is our social nature that's right, based on language. And then we have this human invention, right? Which is the alphabet. And it hasn't been really around very long, right? So if we uh, zoom out of a timeline, um, you know, uh, humans haven't been writing uh, or reading for that long. And if you look way back, you know, Middle Ages, you know, who's doing the reading and the writing? It's It's the elites, right? I mean, elite, yeah. Yeah. Scribes, um, Mm -hmm. monastic scholars. Uh, kings, maybe if they were interested, but the general uh, human population did not have access um, to what we consider, you know, uh, really a a social necessity now. Mm -hmm. So really in a short period of time, we've come across, you know, this expectation that all humans need to read and write. And uh, we even have now have policy, right? That by the time you're 10 years old, you need to be at grade level and proficient. Um, but this is a really, uh, it's not natural. Reading is not natural. It has to be taught um, because the alphabet is a human invention that we map on to those sounds, right? So if I were to tell you, ooh, uh, you could tell me a couple ways that you could spell ooh, right? Um, But without knowing or seeing print or being exposed to, when you hear this sound, here's how you write it. uh, It's not natural to just pick it up. And it is, is English especially tough uh, for little guys because it it doesn't have all those... uh, rules like you might have in a in a Spanish or a Portuguese or uh, or French? Well, you know, English kind of gets a bad rap, right? The English is yeah. crazy and it's so difficult. But really what it is, is uh, multiple layers of languages and that we've now called English, right? So we have that Germanic base, that Anglo-Saxon, you know, used to be guttural thing like <laughs> Right. Right. We don't do that anymore. (laughs) But now the spelling of things is hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Then we have Latin. Right. Lots Mm -hmm. of our multisyllabic words and content words are Latin based. 
So we have prefixes and suffixes and, um, you know, changes like that. And then we also have a, a Greek layer that gets into content specific words. So we have a lot of rules and um, orthographic conventions, but they are derived from different languages. Um, and we we take in pretty much every, um, you know, lots of words that aren't from our language, too. And we consider those English, but they're not really English in derivation. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm just going to throw this big word out there for our audience that um, English is morphophonemic, which means it's based in sound and in uh, meaning. Hmm. Okay. So what, what's the difference between cookie and cookies? The S. Yeah, the, the plural. S, so yeah. the plural. So when we have a spelling like S, it changes the meaning, right, from singular to plural. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot of those um, morpho uh, morphemes that we have to learn on top of how do we spell, right. right, all those sounds. So how do you spell the Z sounding cookies? It's not with a Z. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, we always go back and forth about why uh, why are there moose? Why is a moose singular a moose is plural but a mouse is singular and mice are plural goose and geese i mean it's just we just foul up <laughs> these poor little kids but uh, we, we we can get really you know dumped in the weeds here all right so you were saying uh you know when we just introduced you that you think that reading and, and you know and reading at grade level really starts much earlier and many of the conversations we've had here on the show is all about you know you got parents have to read to their kids even into the into the womb you know uh <laughs> you know they're reading and and certainly babies you know can you can start reading to them uh from birth uh what's your take on that from the liter literary the literacy uh side of things well that's absolutely true uh we know that reading is built on language, just like you said. So reading to your child, but even more importantly, I think, or to add on to that is to talk. So we have a lot of evidence to say that just talking to your child, uh, especially, you know, babies who can't talk back, their brains are setting up all their uh, neural connections to be able to do this thing called speech, which then we anchor on the reading, the literacy piece. Um, so, you know, we're doing lots of outreach um, pieces through, you know, United Way is a partner. And um, I actually was part of the um, Junior League of Erie. And when the United Way brought in um, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. So, you know, in the community, we have a strong, um, commitment to early literacy and making sure that students have opportunities to have books in their in their hands and their homes, but also encouraging um, parents and caregivers to talk and just, um, you know, don't talk baby talk, talk um, in a conversation, expect um, students to look at you or babies, right, to look back at you. They can't speak yet. They're still interacting with you and learning. Um, so it does start uh, immediately, but it's also the womb part is training parents what's important. Um, so interactive dialogue and reading and conversation. Yeah, we, we, we had uh, some early childhood experts on yesterday, and they were talking about, um, uh, you know, the idea of 
asking the child what what's their favorite thing out you know looking out the window what's your favorite thing that you see out there oh i see a tree you know and you know what do you like about the tree and so the whole idea of just the conversation is the thing is what you're saying aaron it is and really understanding that turn talking piece getting uh, oral vocabulary and also experiencing and learning about concepts and having um, different experiences, right? Going outside of your backyard and learning about some, you know, animals at the zoo or going to uh, the lake, right? And knowing that the lake is not an ocean <laughs> because it's fresh water. But those are all concepts that, you know, early, ch- you know, childhood is about exploration and talking and learning. And so baby shark will not be at the lake. <laughs> right. Right. Even shark though we love lake. baby shark, we can sing baby shark. But there's no baby sharks at the lake. Right. Erin Amy, she's an educational consultant in literacy training and consultation. And again, uh, um, the concern about, you know, whether there's so much learning loss, and we're going to get to that in a bit, uh, of so much learning loss that, that kids might need to be held back. And, and uh, remind me to ask you about the whole idea of extra forces coming to play in these schools because i know in our conversation with uh, brian polito at the erie district you know he you know he's going to use some of his cares act money to you know to beef up on on you know sending out the troops if you will the literacy troops to make sure that these kids can come along all right but uh let's let's take our timeline we were talking about really little ones maybe even before they start uh you know talking we could talk to children and, and they're building their vocabulary. Um, w- fast forward a little bit to the concept of preschool or so on. First off, how uh, helpful or hurtful is technology when they're really little, Aaron? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I think with all things, right, moderation. <laughs> uh, we do know that um, there are powerful you know, apps and programming. Uh, WQLN has done a huge uh, outreach during the pandemic and getting kids engaged in learning um, that, you know, they're accustomed to. They're accustomed to fast moving, flashy, colorful, um, you know, things. And uh, sometimes screen time can give that. But I mean, we all uh, grew up on Sesame Street, even old guy right. like me, right? You know, that's right. Um, but the research is saying that part of the ben- the huge benefit where you get a benefit is if you are watching with someone who is able to have a conversation here it is right a yeah. conversation okay extend on the learning make connections um and participate have that back and forth um because again we're social we know that plunking kids in their um you know their car seats in front of a tv show watching little einstein uh, doesn't provide their brain with the cognitive feedback. Um, so it's the human face and a connection that actually um, develops the learning. So um, I think, you know, there's great programming out there that, you know, our kids have learned fantastic vocabulary from some shows that we would never think about talking about, right? Unless it's very targeted. So certainly high quality educational programming um, that does help to, you know, and I would add the the gap, the equity piece, um, because there are even, you know, in the pandemic that is, is apparent. We can't travel. We aren't able to go to places, but you can certainly do that. 
um, through TV or uh, virtual experiences. So um, I don't think there's a yay or nay on that. Okay. It's an if or when or how. And, and, and it is, uh, yeah, uh, to, to limit the screen time altogether uh, is helpful. All righty. Um, so at some point, they are uh, getting ready for preschool. So let's start mm-hmm. right with three-year-olds. And again, are going up to uh, kindergarten, are there pivotal, are there pivotal times that uh, are kind of like uh, benchmarks for literacy? Or is it kind of all a continuum as they make their way to the formal sc- classroom? So if we look at language development, 18 months is uh, usually when our brain has sort of wired up um, to pay attention to our own phonemes and our language. So if you're going to be a dual language learner, you should learn it before you're 18 months old. Wow. <laughs> or it's very difficult. Um, and as we develop, you know, we're, we're continuing to add on. It is a continuum um, of development. So we're certainly looking for benchmarks um, and making sure that students are on track or young children are on track to um, have those literacy steps. But we're looking for, you know, can they recognize rhythm and language? Uh, are they, can they enjoy um, print, look at the pictures, tell you a little bit about it? Uh, are, are they paying attention um, to conversations? And, uh, you know, I think the thing about preschool is we, in Pennsylvania, we don't have, um, universal pre-k. So we have a bit of an equity issue um, as a, you know, we have opportunities for for parents or families that um, aren't able to afford uh, preschool. And, you know, then we have sort of this middle ground where it can be very expensive to send your child to preschool. That's high quality, uh, full day so that it meets working parents needs. Um, and so some of the, you know, the bills that have been successful in other states have included those early literacy provisions um, that we have high quality um, preschool opportunities for all students um, and that it sort of is an expectation. Um, but that's not really the case here. It, it's so it, it's do you see that that's a deficiency on Pennsylvania's part to not have universal pre-K? I think it even came up uh, last night in the uh, in the president's address. Yes. Um, so I definitely think that it's, it stacks the odds against a lot of students. Who but we don't do have, have Head Start. We have pre-K yep. counts, right? We just mm-hmm. learned that yesterday. So there is some have- helpful that – are you saying it's for certain uh, income levels beyond what pre-K counts would uh, would cover? Yeah, so pre- you know those are um, their income qualification type yeah. programs. So we have a, a huge gap, sort of in that middle ground, where families don't they're not um, eligible for those programs. Um, and Head Start is uh, really important to get early intervention services for students that are delayed or need additional supports. Um, but thinking about all of our students, you know, whether or not they've had, maybe they don't have transportation, so they can't get to preschool, right? Or um, all sorts of, of things that pop up. That makes a lot of sense. All righty. Um, so let's let's move forward. We've got like a less than uh, about two minutes left before okay. the bottom of the hour. I, you know, what do we look at? What what do you what do you think is a prepared kindergarten? Uh, 
and in fact, there are programs, right, for kindergarten preparedness that, like the United Way's Advance and so on. Uh, in your in your checklist, what's a prepared kindergartner? Uh, well, so we are looking at just literacy, I think, but there's lots of preparedness pieces. But we're thinking about um, does your your child have an awareness of the alphabet? Uh, are they able to think about the first sound in words? So if I were to tell you what's the first sound in the word moon, right? And we do moon. Mmm is the first sound mm-hmm. in moon. Um, that's phonemic awareness. It's one of the core uh, skills that reading requires. So listening um, and hearing, you know, words that rhyme um, and text, all those phonemic awareness things. And then, you know, being able to recognize some letters, um, you know, not just singing the ABC song, but pointing out a certain letter, naming that letter is um, highly predictive, actually, in the middle of kindergarten for uh, later success in third grade. So we know right in kindergarten at the middle of the year, if kids aren't able to quickly name letters, so B, D, L, P, um, that that shows us that there's probably going to be some difficulty in learning to read. So it's not um, an instructional target, but it's a predictor. So it's pretty interesting. My understanding so, is there's all kinds of predictors that are happening mm-hmm. in uh, in early childhood learning, right? Absolutely. And we know, we know those indicators. So um, first sound, uh, being able to pull the first sound off of a word, uh, that is assessed right at the beginning of kindergarten. So you should see um, a universal screening measure in your school that most of the schools have set up. So first sound, so tell me the first sound in sun. And uh, your child should say s. Um, and will and they immediately lo- go to some kind of remedial uh uh, or some, you know, some extra help uh, if if that's uh, kind of lagging. So that's the purpose, really, of the universal screener is to avoid the wait to fail. Okay. Um, yeah. You learn to read up to grade three, then you read to learn uh, beyond that. And this has all been prompted by. I'm going to go a little bit deeper uh, for a second here. Our, our guest is Erin uh, Amy. She's an educational consultant in literacy training and consultation. Erin, let me just. We got a, We've got a few minutes here. So I want to kind of give you uh, or give the audience a little bit more background of kind of where this is all coming from. And that is this political article that came out on the 22nd of April regarding uh, a, a family in Nashville, Tennessee, who have been like struggling through but really working hard for their kids um, uh, on the virtual learning down in Nashville, and they have a second grader and a first grader, and they've been working to have their kids uh, try to keep their kids from falling behind because the pandemic kept their kids at home, and you know they they you know they totally revamped their house and so on. But uh, there are several states in like Tennessee and more than a dozen other states that will. Uh, basically, um, you know, they they have a strict policy that if they don't do well enough on a reading test next year, they could be forced to repeat a grade. And some of the some of the contagions of repeating a grade have to do with self esteem. Of uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, they would be flagged 
for retention and uh, you know that there literally thousands of kids across the country could be uh, pulled back and uh, and one uh, Michigan state senator says it was a misguided law that was onerous before the pandemic now it's just plain cruel uh, said this uh, senator Polhansky. Um, but uh, lawmakers long ago honed in on third grade because of research showing from that point forward in school, children are no longer learning to read, but reading to learn, meaning their lessons shift from teaching the basics of reading to relying on reading skills to advance in all subjects. All right, now let's bring on our expert. Uh, because first off, we want to establish that this law does not exist in Pennsylvania. Correct. And and so and so we don't have like this automatic retention trigger based on how kids do. Is it called the keystones now? I, I've lost track. Is it passes or keystones? What is it? Keystones are for the upper grades and uh, the PSSA or some people say PASA would be third grade through um, eighth grade. So it is both actually. All right. Sixth grade. Um, so so we don't have that. But no. When you do the evaluation at third grade, when the PSSAs are given, um, there's a lot there's a lot of um, alarms that could go off if a child doesn't perform. And what are the three levels? Isn't it like uh, advanced, uh, proficient, and I can't basic remember. Basic and below basic. Oh, basic there's and below basic. Oh, mm-hmm. There's four. Okay. So, okay, expert, t- tell us <laughs> what that all means. Like uh, – the, the the passes and stuff and then we'll then we'll backtrack and say what we can do for solution side but uh, you know the when that evaluation hits with the passes uh, in third grade what are what are some of the reactions that happen when you get those results back well the state um, like every other state is required to assess um, whether or not our kids are achieving and what's the state of our education. Uh, So Pennsylvania, like every other state, has developed their own state assessment. Um, The national assessment is called the NAEP, which um, can be looked up by the nation's report card. And before Common Core standards came in, um, every state's assessment was very different in rigor and expectation. And so our state assessment, the PSSA, is aligned to the Common Core standards of what we call PA Core. Um, So those are the standards that we're looking for. So the assessment is measuring, has has a student met the standards at grade level um, and comparing um, students to their peers across the state within a school district and also lets us uh, measure growth over time. So we're looking at two metrics of achievement and growth. Okay, but if that's the first, is that the first evaluation is third grade? Mm -hmm. So we get what, we would get a growth score in fourth grade, Um, but we also have longitudinal data that we can compare in third grade to other cohorts in third grade. But you're saying that third grade is really late if you're going to try to mitigate, you know, somebody who's falling behind. Talk about that. So we know that um, the early literacy research tells us that by the end of first grade, your student should be or your child should be on track. And uh, we have universal screening measures that have been uh, in the field for decades 
that have been proven to, again, predict later outcomes. So your school or your child should be participating in a universal screener that's norm referenced and um, standardized so that we can, we can find students who are at risk and we can intervene. Because the, as educators, our job is to make sure that all of our students have access, right, to high quality education, rigorous opportunities, and that they all can read. Um, but by the time where we get to third grade, and in your article, Politico, I scrolled down and I saw Sonia the mom, um, as she's known on social media, and she's from Nashville. Mm -hmm. And she did not find out that her son was struggling and not reading at well at all, like five years below grade level when he was in eighth grade. Oh my. She had no idea. Um, so she is a political um, gra grassroots activist to say that you're, you as a parent, you should know exactly how your child is performing at every step of the, of the game. At the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, the end of every year, you should know, is my child on track? Have they made growth? And um, is that growth good enough um, to get onto track? How do, how, like, how do I know? If 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 my uh, child in first grade is going to have one of these uh, screening measures, uh, it I mean, will they send a note back or, or I mean, is it easily identified? Uh, so it should be. And if if there is no note coming home, just um, email the teacher or the principal and ask, um, has, has there been a universal screener? How is my child doing? And it shouldn't be something that is just um, homegrown. It should be a universal measure that is well accepted, norm referenced. Um, we have several assessments out there, Acadians, Dibbles, those kinds of things that really um, are put into place before that third grade measure. So K2 should have its own um, universal screening measures to, to make sure that we identify these kids. And, uh, you know, if we're, you know, again, education is not one size fits all. Not every kid yeah. respond. I mean, you, you could probably go for another hour talking about all the different <laughs> ways that kids learn, right? What is it? Uh, uh, you know, whether it's through hearing and through doing or what have you. Um, but uh, uh, what what are some of the solutions? Give give uh, parents some solutions if they're finding, okay, this my child was screened, they're falling behind, or they need a little help. And and again, you know, my kids went to went to private schools, and the the lady from the IU would come around, right? <laughs> yep. And and. Uh, Either whether whether they were in, uh, in a uh, what do you call that? Uh, ad, what, what's the advanced one? The um, the reading. I'm not sure. Uh, what you know, I'm like not sure. when, when your kids is is ahead of the game. What do they call that? Uh, like honors or, uh, or I don't know. Uh, for for the little ones, they had uh, you know you could you can get extra from the IU lady. Or okay. if the ones that were falling behind, if they need a little help, they would go to the reading specialist. Uh -huh. and, and get a little extra help, you know, when they were younger till they could catch up. And so um, – and usually comprehension is like the thing that really, you know, will knock these kids out a little bit, right? Yeah. So, well, there's, there's lots of elements to that, but I think what I'd start with is um, all kids learn to read the same way. Okay. Our brain has to wire up 
right? This language center that's natural to um, all the different systems that coordinate. And so we know um, the structured literacy, which is explicit instruction and in, uh, mapping those sounds to print has to be in place in kindergarten and first grade. And um, that some students pick it up relatively easily, one to four exposures. Um, whereas on a continuum, we can have students who need 20 times that amount of practice. So it's really dosage. Uh, how much intensity does your child need? Uh, do they need to be in a smaller group with a lot more feedback uh, from the teacher to really refine? Um, but we should you know, be able to evaluate a system and say, are 80% of my kids um, in my classroom on track? And then how, you know, with these, this other percentage of kids that are struggling, um, are they uh, with extra support are they meeting that benchmark? So gotcha. um, we have lots of ways to measure um, effectiveness of instruction in general and um, looking at growth for individuals too. And again, uh, to hear you talk, Aaron, if, you, if you're coming into school, if you're coming into kindergarten with not a lot of tools in your toolbox because maybe you weren't read or two or, or maybe books weren't around much and so on, you could have literally dozens and dozens of kids entering a, a district that need a lot of extra help. What 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 is policy in in Pennsylvania for for that kind of thing? Because I again, my next question is going to be: How much help are we going to need coming out of remote learning? Go ahead. Uh, well, the policy, you know, just recently changed so that, you know, kids have to enter school by age six. It used to be age eight, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, so kindergarten's not really mandatory. It's not full time in most places. In some places, it, it, mm. most of our schools in the area have full time kindergarten, full day kindergarten. Um, but those are the things that we need to plan for as systems, uh, knowing our communities, knowing um, that our, our students, you know, are needing more support with language and readiness skills. Uh, some of our school districts do sort of a kindergarten camp um, before school starts. How do we behave in a situation that's really formal, right? Mm -hmm. um, as a five-year-old, if you've never attended preschool, what does it mean to stand in line and getting some of those basic procedural things down so that we can focus in on those priority skill pieces? Um, so I think, you know, it's knowing, knowing the population that you're dealing with, uh, what supports are we going to have to put in before we even meet the kids? <laughs> because we know that our students, you know, need this level of support. And um, it's really being preventative in nature rather than reactive. And I feel like, you know, third grade retention is a really reactive policy. Uh, and sometimes to get people to change, we need to do drastic things. Um, because change is hard and people don't like to do do it. <laughs> um, so policies like the retention law um, have made some gains in some states because the leadership at the state level um, coordinating with you know school districts have had a plan of how are we going to get students right on track. And in Mississippi, one of the one of the solutions was to create those early childhood um, consortiums where um, preschool was a top priority. So, you know, I think those are 
the policy things drive what we do, but if there's no plan and no follow through, then it, it ends up hurting our, our kids, our, our children. So um, without, without this retention law then in PA, are our kids artificially being pushed through the system? This whole, I mean, I remember the old uh, George W. Bush, no child left behind. Mm-hmm. Are our are, are kids, uh, you know, are they just getting these formal advancements with, without having, uh, without reading at level or, or being ready for the next, uh, the next thing ahead of them? So, yeah, the idea of social promotion, right. you know, is, um, you know, is hanging around out there. But I think what we really uh, need to consider, right, and it is a team decision, but all those factors that you said um, about retention, is it actually effective? If we hold students back and we don't promote them to the next grade, will they be getting different or more intensive instruction? Because just a redo that didn't work the first time is not going to change our outcomes, right? Yeah. Um, And so, you think it's better for all of us to think about systems level um, plans for how do we ensure that kids will be on track by third grade rather than um, setting this, you know, uh, this hard line of you will not go to fourth grade. Um, what but, about this? Know, art, what about this artificial contagion, though? The remote learning. And, and again, mm-hmm. if, if I were to talk to any teacher, they would say. Uh, you know, two years ago, they would have said, you know, uh, that's okay for a couple kids, but they need to be with me and I, I need to teach them in person. Now we've had, you know, 13, 14, 15 months of remote learning. Uh, what, what's, what's that going to mean to this concept of being reading at grade level? Well, I think it's exposed a lot of equity um, issues that, you know, kids that were set up in different um, situations may have uh, gotten more out of the experience than others. And um, the type of teaching and the type of structure that you had, um, were you completely asynchronous? Did you have access to a teacher? Uh, There's so many variables. Um, But what I think we need to do going forward, and really the state is uh, focused in on training administrators and school districts to think about, um, you know, this part as unfinished learning rather than learning loss. So really focusing in on accelerating learning, um, and that doesn't mean go faster. It means what are the essential skills that our students need this year that they may have missed a little bit of learning for last year that we would hope that they knew. So we're gonna hook those pieces in into our grade level content, like in fourth grade. So we're not gonna reteach third grade. We're gonna pull out what's absolutely necessary as a precursor to what we need to teach in fourth grade because the curriculum spirals, right? And our expectations just grow just a little bit each year. Um, But then really evaluating how many students are significantly behind and being prepared you know, with some of these mitigation factors like, um, you know, tutoring and summer programming and being ready at the start of the school year to intervene and provide supports. What does that look like in our classroom? It's not the same as it was two years ago. Um, so planning mm-hmm. is huge for this. Yeah. And, and again, I know every every superintendent and every school board and, and all the curriculum directors are you know, going over all of this stuff. Let's talk mm-hmm. to the family now. Okay, so we've, you know, 
it, I'm thinking of city schools, county schools. It doesn't matter the the context, but you've got some kids that have been in remote learning, or they and they and they they've made a choice, family choice, that they're going to stay there through the end of the year. So that means basically a quarter last year and a full year this year. So five quarters of remote learning, and um, and we don't know if they're going to hit their marks or not. What would you suggest to families to um, to to get the the best possible outcomes out of this really unfortunate situation? Um, well, I think you know parent involvement in the process is huge. Um, you know, to having those conversations, stay connected with your schools. Um, if you're concerned as a parent that your child is behind. Uh, or struggling, and that could be academically or social emotionally, um, reach out and get um, some supports. But, you know, I think continuing, you know, it's easy to just sort of drop everything over the summer because everyone's exhausted and, mm. you know, you don't want to fight with your your student, your child, um, but getting them engaged in some of, um, you know, those, those things like reading and um, practice spelling and all those things that you have been working on all year so that we um, don't lose even more over the summer. Um, if there's opportunities to join uh, summer programming, it seems like a drag, but I know that um, teachers and schools are trying to make that fun, but also to to help your your child be ready um, so they don't feel even more frustrated going into the new year. I mean, so is, get involved. I was going to say, is there a way to, uh, instead of doing more at home, is there right. a way to like build the social part of this into, you know, we're going to not have the summer slump this year. We're going to we're going to kind of keep going at least uh, uh, to try to make some forward progress. Well, there have been sort of like learning pods yeah. across the state. Um, so, you know, if you haven't connected with um, other families, you know, even just taking um, an excursion mm-hmm. and asking, you know, let's read a little bit about this before we go. Let's write something, Um, maybe getting active in something um, in your community that you're, you know, excited about, or you want to engage in. Uh, I think all those components, but, you know, learning something new and making, maybe making a commitment as a family to learn about a topic that you don't really know much about. Um, The Erie City um, School District is working on um, knowledge strands that are they're pretty exciting, like Mesopotamia. So <laughs> as a family, let's let's learn let's about learn. Mesopotamia over the summer. So maybe, um, you know, reaching out, what are the, the topics? You can find the, the standards, um, you know, but I think taking advantage of what your school district is offering, I think would be a huge um, piece because we know that parents and families are tired and um, it, it's hard. To, it's easy to say, no, we're, we're yeah. good for the summer, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, and I guess we'll leave it there. The communication is the key, right? Uh, again, yeah. if you're concerned, communicate because you could probably get some answers on on the other end of the phone. I really appreciate it. Uh, Aaron, you've taught us a lot today. Thank you so, so much. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.